0: We're in Ephesians 4 today, and we'll be back in John next week, but one of the things that I've recognized uh, is that when we have major events like what just took place, when we add an elder to the church, it's a good time to teach the church about the church. Uh, we, I, I thought about it. It's been four years since I've directly addressed the topic of the local church, and I'm like, how many of you have come in the last four years? This should be a regular thing. And what better time than to talk about God's gift of the church on a Sunday in which it's been publicly affirmed and recognized. So, Ephesians 4, 11-12 is where we are this week. Don't worry, we'll finish uh, this first half of John next week. Let's read together. I'll read aloud. And He, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets... The evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, whether you love it or hate it, it's practically impossible to escape at least a glimpse of 1983's A Christmas Story. Uh, It's a charming little story based on the writings of Gene Shepard, in which he tells the tale of a nine-year-old boy named Ralphie and his quest. And um, the movie I mention here because it illustrates what so many of us feel about the gift-giving season of Christmas. For some, the gifts are the pinnacle, they're the high, they're the Red rider BB gun. You get that perfect thing, and you just love it, and you treasure it. And then sometimes we get the equivalent of the pink bunny suit. It's like, what were they thinking? <laughs> Why would anybody ever want to give me this? And one thing that uh, Shepard's novel doesn't actually capture very well is the stuff in between. The stuff where you're like, I could kind of use this. I might be able to use this. Uh, Maybe gift cards fall into this category. I saw a stat this week that said 47% of Americans have unused gift cards sitting in their house as we speak. (laughs) The average amount of those gift cards is $147. It's unused money just sitting around. So if you have a gift card from last year, as a good steward, I recommend you use it quick. But those are those in-between gifts. You're like, oh yeah, maybe I'll use that one day. And you don't even necessarily think about it. We all know this experience well. And so today our text is about some gifts given to us by Christ. Uh, Some that are actually valued and appreciated as something special. But in many cases, the gifts that are mentioned here in verse 11 are sometimes tolerated and sometimes just underutilized altogether. Like In many cases, these offices, these, these people that God has entrusted to the church, are, are, are viewed as, as good, but we don't really know what to do with them. We don't really know how to leverage them. We don't really know how to take advantage of this gift being given us by Christ. And in other cases, it's just downright difficult because of poor pastoral leadership in times past that makes people reticent to ever want to enter into that kind of relationship at all. We've seen these offices abused and therefore, sometimes they're just totally neglected or tolerated. And yet, the perspective that Paul paints here indeed conveys... Ministers of the Word as a gift to God's church. A gift that is to be unwrapped, appreciated, but most importantly, used. Used. I want you to notice just in the context how Christ is giving gifts to His people. Ephesians up to this point is calling for unity and oneness as a body of Christ that's going to, when these people get together, they're going to stun the powers of the universe with their oneness. Together, they're going to represent Jesus in a way that they couldn't do apart from one another. And so Paul tells them who they are, united in Christ, and then tells them how they should live, united in Christ. So, verses 1 through 3, he commands them of chapter 4. He commands them to to get on the same page, to get along with one another, to live together in harmony. And then in verses 5 through 7, he tells them about the bases for this one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're all in this thing together. And then he transitions to verse 8 and starts talking about some gifts that Christ has given to his people that will enable them to do this impossible task of living together as a beautiful representation of Jesus and the hard part is the living together it's not as difficult for you to evidence Jesus in your individual life it has his struggles but often we can kind of pat ourselves on the back and think we're doing okay the difficulty comes into play when we have to do this with other people And Paul says, no, but that's actually where the glory is. That's where Christ shines the most. So I know it's difficult, but hey, here's the good news. The Lord Jesus has given you gifts that will enable you to live out this mission. Look at verse 7. He actually says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here he's talking about these individual inclinations, capacities, tendencies that we all have to serve one another in the body. He's talking about individual gifts. And he's going to explain something that's kind of cool. These verses that are in parentheses in your Bible can sometimes be confusing. Sometimes I kind of read over them and I'm like, I don't know what that's talking about. Let me resume where I can actually hang But after doing further research, I realized that actually Paul's using an analogy here to talk about this tendency back in the day for ruling emperors and generals to give gifts to the entire community on the basis of their victories. If you're a history geek, go home and look up Roman Triumph. Roman Triumph. A Roman triumph is basically like a parade. When a general would win a battle, it's been estimated that he had to have at least killed 5,000 people, he would be welcomed back to the capital city with a triumph, with a parade. The, The Senate itself would have to approve a triumph. And what would happen is they would take all the prisoners of war, All of the loot that they were able to get from this battle, and they would put it all on trailers, and they would parade through the city, people cheering at the victory that had been won. They wanted to visualize the victory. And one of the interesting things that would take place is all these spoils of war would be put on display and then brought into the city with the understanding that they would then be invested back into the community. Some of the the most beautiful pieces of historical architecture are actually outgrowths of Roman spoils of war. When people would see all this stuff, they know that they would be the beneficiary of these gifts. This victory was theirs. And if it sounds like I'm spiritualizing this thing, I am not Do the homework. Paul here is appealing to the Roman triumph, and he's saying, when Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, He was so victorious that He puts on display how mighty He is by freely giving gifts to His church so that they can understand they will have everything they need to represent Him well as His citizens. And so it makes that statement he who uh, ascended has freely given gifts. He went down into the grave indeed first, but He came back up. And He not only gave these individual gifts, these, like, these personal gifts, but He also gave, listen to this, the gift of persons. Not just personal gifts, but the gift of persons. Look at verse 11 again. It says, and He gave the apostles, prophets, etc., Notice that. Verse 7 says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then there's that stuff about the Roman triumph. And he gave, verse 11, the apostles, prophets, and teachers. There's two kinds of gifts. There's, there's the gifts of your individual abilities, and then there's the gifts of individuals who are supposed to be a blessing to you in this mission to represent the Lord Jesus as the emperor, if you will. The emperor of the universe. And so Paul would actually have the people of Ephesus and us here today understand, embrace, and utilize the gifts of ministers of the Word. The text lists a couple reasons why Christ gave us these ministers. A couple ways that these offices can be used for our good. um, And I want to share those. But... I'll do it in a very logical fashion. I think it first be helpful from verse 11 to discuss what He gave. And then in verses 12 and 13, discuss why He gave it. (laughs) What did Christ give? Verse 11. And then verses 12 and 13. Why did He give it? What, What was the purpose behind that? What He gave? Let's look at Christ's gift. When you look at verse 11 in your own Bible, just stare at it for a second. What are these gifts? He gave. And then you see those titles there. What do these five gifts have in common? What do they have in common? There's a couple things. The first is that they all deal with the transmission of the Word of God. You notice that every one of the offices that are listed here are connected to the dissemination, the distribution, the communication of the word of God. Apostles and prophets they were uniquely authorized spokespeople of God. they spoke authoritatively, they spoke infallibly, they were unique to the church insofar as their their teachings, their sermons sermons their writings were inspired by God. Second Peter one nineteen to twenty one talks about this uh, Paul has already said, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 20, that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church along with the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. The reason I'm making a big deal out of this is because some people would try to say today that there are still apostles and prophets that are being given to the church. And yet Paul has already said, no, this is a special thing that's actually reserved for when the church got off the ground. You're not always building a foundation. You lay a foundation and you build on it. The apostles and prophets played a unique role. But what was their unique role? They actually infallibly communicated God's Word for us, which is now reflected in what we hold in our hands this morning. This, the testimony of the prophets and the apostles, is one of God's gifts to us. So they were historical gifts. But the next three seem to be ongoing gifts. Evangelists. They're also characterized by the communication of the Word of God, right? I mean, the Word literally means one who announces the good news. The Gospel. And I'll be honest, friends, this we don't discuss this one. We, we talk about pastors and teachers, and we talk about apostles and prophets, but it's like, Evangelist isn't even in our Bibles. What what does it mean that someone is an evangelist? It means they've been recognized as a herald of the good news. They're official spokespeople who proclaim the gospel. Sure, we all indeed to some degree proclaim the gospel, but some people have been set apart and sent as gospel proclaimers. You know what we often call them? Missionaries. Missionaries. You don't just send any old Tom, Dick, and Harry across the ocean to start churches and preach the gospel, although many do send themselves. But the pattern that we see in the book of Acts is that there would be somebody who would be specially recognized by the church and sent. And that is exactly what we still have today. The ministry that I was able to enjoy in Togo teaching pastors happened because somebody went over there and proclaimed the gospel to those guys. And now I could come on the backside and teach and train them on how to interpret the word of God, but they needed to be converted first. And it is a special office in the church to send someone out in this way and what do they do? They minister the word. This is a gift. And I want you to think about like the fact that we know the gospel probably happened not just through an informal conversation, but somebody somewhere had been sent from some church to share the truth of the gospel to you or to your parents or to your grandparents. That is a gift of God. The thing that they have in common is the communication of the Word. And then we come to these last two. It says shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and teachers. Uh, The the translation is, is very good here. It says, the shepherds and teachers. Now, grammar geek moment. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the shepherds and the teachers. That's reflecting the definite article in the Greek text. In the original language, there's only one article, the shepherds and teachers. No definite article for a second. You're like, well, who gives a rip about that? Well, the Holy Spirit did. And here's why. Because in the Greek language, when you use one article with two separate nouns, it ties a close relationship between the two. It's its way of communicating that these things are closely connected. Do you know some translations actually put this, the pastor-teachers? The pastor-teachers. Pastor-teachers. hyphen In fact, I, you know that I spent time in Los Angeles. MacArthur took this so seriously that on the sign in front of the church, it said, Pastor-Teacher John MacArthur. But actually, no qualms with the sign, majorly, I think there's a little bit of difference between pastors and teachers, but what I'm trying to establish with you is that they are closely connected. They're not just two totally separate things. Shepherds and teachers, shepherd-teachers, whatever you want to call them, I think of it like a Venn diagram, by the way. Significant overlap, but some things are different. (laughs) They're characterized by the effective and effusive communication of the Word of God. So what are shepherds? Let's talk about that part of the Venn diagram for a second. What What are pastors? By the way, same word. Shepherds, pastors, same word. What are they in this context? Well, most fundamentally, you would have thought of a shepherd as somebody who takes care of sheep. We've been in John 10. We've been talking about this for weeks. We've got this nailed down by now. Shepherds take care of sheep. How do they do that? They do that primarily by keeping them alive through feeding them. And they lead them too. But you know what? you know why they lead them? They don't just lead them just to lead them. They lead them to other places to eat. A shepherd primarily feeds sheep. And so here, God's shepherds would feed sheep. <laughs> They would feed them uh, the Word of God. Thus, the close relationship between teaching. Right? You see this. Let's talk about that. What are teachers? Well, this one's more obvious. God has gifted some people in His church as teachers of the Word. And most of them are accountable for the flock, but not all of them. Some of them are just good, gifted teachers. I I agree with Neil Postman, the Jewish sociologist from the 80s and 90s. He's the one that wrote that book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. He is not a Christian. He is thoroughly Jewish. And yet he noted this about Christianity. He says, Christianity is, by my best understanding, a demanding and serious religion. And when it's delivered as easy and amusing, it's another kind of religion altogether. What Postman is actually trying to communicate is that uh, Christianity is, requires thought and seriousness. It's not just raw emotionalism. Here's this non Christian recognizing that that which we hold to be true is somewhat intellectual. Some people would deny that. And indeed, indeed, some people overplay that. Some people make it all intellectual (laughs) no emotion, no application. But it is at least a creed, uh, something to confess, a truth to believe. And so teachers help make some of these truths more clear to us. Have you ever had that experience when you're sitting there and you're reading your Bible and you're like, what in the world does that mean? And then all of a sudden you listen to a sermon on that or you read a gifted teacher on that and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see it, it makes sense now. Or maybe it's not even a text, maybe it's just a tactic. Like you're trying to make this decision about life, who to marry, what car to buy, whether to live in this place or that place, whatever it is, and you go and you talk to somebody who knows much of the Word of God and and they share with you some principles, and you're like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense now. That's that teaching aspect of the office. That's a gift. Some of us just can't. We don't have that kind of clarity. But some people do. And and God gave them to us. and, And we should be grateful for that. And the point that I'm trying to disclose here is that this ministry is a Word ministry. These are ministers of the Word. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, they are no more effective than they possess and proclaim the Word of God. they are repositories for it. I love the way that Paul talks about his own apostleship. Now, again, if the apostles are kind of like at the top of the list and then everybody else is just kind of underneath it somewhere, whatever Paul says is true of the apostles when he's trying to keep things humble and down to earth and real is probably true of the other guys as well. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that he proclaims the gospel, he bears the gospel, the glory of the gospel in a clay jar. Dave Harvey preached on that at our church back in the summer. We're nothing but clay pots. That's what the word bearers are. It, it, it's not about the pot, it's about what it possesses. And the clay pots, by the way, in that particular culture were nothing special. They were everyday ordinary. Can I give you some modern analogies? We don't use clay pots that often, admittedly, but you could think about Tupperware. Nobody looks at Tupperware and goes, "woo," unless you're a Tupperware salesperson, if that's even a thing anymore. Tupperware. This is Tupperware. A bucket. I don't know anybody that gets really excited about a bucket. That's what these word ministers are. They're, They're Tupperware. They're buckets. They're a cardboard box. Nothing Impressive. Except for the fact that they carry the word. And how kind of God to shove his good gift of the word into these individuals who seem to have some capacity to communicate it, to open up the box, to pour themselves out. I point out one other thing that's interesting about these gifts. I said that they're all communicators of the word. But one more thing its kind of cool, they're nouns, they're not verbs, they're not adjectives. What I mean by that is, it doesn't say that the gifts are that some people uh, pastor and some people teach and some people evangelize. What it's saying is, these people are marked by this. Like, this characterizes them. This isn't just a verb, something they do every once in a while. This is an identity. I, I like to use when talking about what we're talking about here grammatically is nominatives to help illustrate that. I used this in Africa last week and it worked with the Africans. It should work here as well. If you want to understand what a nominative is, just think of someone regularly characterized by it. So... I'll admit to you that uh, I have painted on several occasions in my life. It probably happens about once every three years and it's always painful and terrible. Paint rooms. I don't do paintings per se, but I'll paint a room when I have to. Uh, But no one, no one, I don't know anyone that knows me that'd be like, Justin Harris, he's a painter. Just because I occasionally paint doesn't mean that I'm a painter. It doesn't mark me that's a nominative. Nominatives mark somebody. They, they so do this thing that it just, it's just who they are. I say this uh, just to illustrate this particular point. I'll use preaching as an example. Um, I've been preaching since I was 17. And I preach wherever I go. Like I remember, like I have always been paid to do this. I was working at Chick-fil-A. I would take my lunch break and I would preach to college students. Like, I couldn't imagine anything different. It just marked me. When I was 20, 21, I'd like find a youth group somewhere. I'd go to a nursing home. I'd go to a street corner. Like, I was just preaching. I just wanted other people to know the Word of God. And nobody told me to sit down and shut up, except for non-Christians. But other people in the church were like, oh, well, yeah, this makes sense. He should keep preaching. It just... This kind of becomes who you are. How do you know who these these people are? These evangelists, these shepherds, these teachers. You can't stop them. They just do it. That brother that we brought up on stage today, he's a shepherd, teacher, and evangelist. You can't stop him. For three years, at least, he's been sitting in this church doing all the same stuff that he's doing right now. We just formally recognized it this morning. You say, "Why wow, does it make him like extra special? No, it's just the way God made him. Some people would look at ministers of the Word and think, how in the world do they do that? And ministers of the Word look at some people and they wonder, how in the world do you do that? <laughs> how do you not do this? <laughs> it's just the way that God made it. So Christ gave His church, these ministers of the Word, they're, all they do, they're Word disseminators in an official capacity, and they're marked by it. And we don't manufacture them. They're not self-made. God has given them to us. And I think this should help us as uh, elders in the room to understand something and embrace it well. Uh, we should remain humble and approach, approachable. God has shaped us as heralds, feeders of the sheep, teachers of the Word. Uh, we're just clay in His hands. Think, brothers. Tupperware. Um. The surpassing powers of God and His Word, not in us, were only effective insofar as we store, transport, or pour out the Word of God. Period. Period. And here's the truth. This is awesome. If lightning were to strike us all down today, guess what? This church would be totally fine because the Word of God is still alive and well, and guess what? He's going to take it from one clay pot and just put it in another. We just need to be realistic. I do appreciate... Uh, I saw it a lot in southern culture. I grew up in the uh, cultural south. A high view of pastor. You guys did a pastor appreciation today. I was so humbled by that and grateful. Um, I, I think that you should give honor to whom honors due. But we need to be careful too at the same time not to like think too highly of a pastor beyond the fact that they're just passing on the Word of God. So let's be realistic about the office. And at the same time, I think we should be receptive. Uh, pastors, elders, teachers, they're, they're gifts for your well being. We should be grateful for them, not despise them or presume them. God gave them to us. The installation of, of this brother today is a good reminder of that. It's a gift from the Lord. And I, just a note here. Um, Pastors, teachers, they're not just paid people. (laughs) Some are paid, 1 Timothy 5-7, because of how they handle the Word of God. Some are not paid, and yet they're all gifts to the church. They're all to be leveraged and utilized. And I mean, here I was last week looking at churches with only one pastor and 300 people sitting there. And I'm telling them, that. oh, by the way, I'm going to a church with 300 people in it and there's eight of us. This is a gift. This is a blessing that we have. I hope you see the unique privilege of having these gifts. So, what did Christ give? That was the first question. He gave ministers of the Word. Why did He give it? So, talking about Christ's gift, what's Christ's goal? (laughs) Why this Christmas present? Why this gift card? How do you spend this thing? What's the validation code? You know, like, how can I actually use this gift? It's great to know that God has given ministers of the Word to the church, but how does Jesus actually intend for the gift to be used? Well, there's two ways. One in verse 12, one in verse 13. I'll call them Uh, provision and progress. God gave us uh, these ministers of the Word for provision so that we could be what we need to be. God uses these people to provide for us that which we need. Notice, He gave these Word ministers to, look at verse 12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip is a great word. Back in Paul's day, it would be used to talk about the outfitting of a ship before it sets sail. Now I don't know how many times you've been on like a legit boat trip. Like I'm talking like where you can't see the, the, uh, the uh, shore anymore. But when you're out there, you better make sure you have what you need. Instacart doesn't do the ocean. And especially in that day where they would be taking these journeys that would take place for 5, 8, 10 days. You had to have it all equipped. Everything you need. Paul sees these ministers of the Word as equipping the saints with everything that they need. Fully outfitted. Fully outfitted for what? Well, keep reading. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I I love that um, word, uh, ministry, because of just how often it gets confused. When you think of ministry, hang with me here, what do you think of? You think of uh, marrying people, burying people, uh, preaching. You know, like ministry is normally associated with that which uh, a Roman Catholic priest would do. You know, a guy that wears a white collar and officially represents the church in some way. And yet, ministry, the word just means to serve, it means to help, it means to contribute. So, God has equipped these these ministers of the Word for the equipping of the saints for their ministry, helping, contributing, and it's kind of vague. You're like, well, what is that? Uh, So, we're supposed to be equipping and helping and contributing and pitching in in some way. What does that look like? Well, he gives a clarifying phrase for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. They're they're related. The one clarifies the other. So here it is. I, you want to know like why they've been given? Because you're supposed to be helping. Well, in what way are you supposed to be helping and contributing? Well, here it is: by building up the body of Christ. Does here it is? Does it make people more like Jesus? That's how you help and contribute. You help make people more like Jesus. You're like I thought pastors did that. Well, of course they do that. But everybody does that. The way that Paul envisions this thing is not just that you get eight solid guys to help make everybody else more like Jesus, but it's actually in a church this size, you get 300 people helping make everybody else like Jesus. Like That's his plan. And and if you want to see that even further, just jump down a few verses and notice the inclusive language when he talks about the ministry of the body of Christ. He says in verse 15, that we are all to be speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, notice this, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Do you notice the inclusive language? Like, everybody's contributing. And it's up to these ministers of the Word to help equip people for this work. It's amazingly simple. It's helping people towards likeness. It's exhorting people for Christlikeness. It's supporting people for Christlikeness. It's giving towards Christlikeness. It's administrating for Christ-likeness. Here's the question you can ask if you want to know the role that God intends for you to play. How am I most inclined to help us as a church better picture Jesus? How am I most inclined to help us as a church better picture Jesus? They're not just executors of ministry, they're equippers of the ministry. Um. I've been in different roles. I know I've been preaching since I was 17, but I have to do other jobs sometimes. And I don't know how you feel, but there are few things on this planet more frustrating to me than being given a job to do without the resources to do it. It is the pits. Give me a budget give me the tools, give me the people, let me get to work. You know what that's like to be accountable for something they didn't give you what you need? Like, you, here, put this furniture together. Where are the instructions? I don't know, I lost. <laughs> well, you put it together. <laughs> like, tell me what I need to do. We share that. Nobody wants to step into a job and fail. And I think that the, the issue among churches today is that people aren't more engaged in this every member kind of ministry because they're like, I don't think I know what I'm doing. I don't really know where I contribute. I, I don't really, you will I'm supposed to be helping other people become more like Jesus. Are you kidding me? Do you know what I said to my kids last week? Do you know what I'm struggling with? that's exactly why God gave these word ministers to the church. If you ever feel that way, that's what they're there for. To make sure that you are fully outfitted. Maybe you think that helping others become more like Jesus is not possible right now because you don't feel very Christ-like yourself. Guess what? There's a pastor for that. (laughs) There's an elder for that. They want to come alongside you with the Word of God and show you that your sins have been forgiven and that you have all that you need in the Lord Jesus and through the Spirit to do whatever it is God's called you to do. Maybe you don't even know how to do this with others, how to help other people become more like Jesus, because you've never seen anybody personally do that with you. Hey, there's a minister of the Word for that. They want to see you be able to To be effective in the lives of other people. See, the truth is, you, every one of us in this room, self-included, have had people help us out academically, financially, professionally, domestically, but some of us have never benefited from personal care and help spiritually. You know what? That's why God gave pastors to the church. They're supposed to be helping others become more like Jesus so that others can help others become more like Jesus. You know, this is not the way that it's always been. I've just, I'll confess. The reason why I ended up in vocational ministry outside of the sovereign hand of God was a, you're not going to believe it, a trick. I got tricked. <laughs> Somebody conned me into doing this. You think I'm joking. It's my senior year. I'm having to write this essay on what I'm going to do with my life. By the way, I added a historical note. It's 2001, September. So, months leading up to this, I've been going to these like youth conferences and all the pastor people up there preaching are telling me That the only way that I'm ever going to be able to do anything for Jesus is to either be a pastor, a missionary, or a Christian school teacher. I don't know how that one got it, but those were the three categories. And so, here I am thinking like, oh my goodness, I don't want to waste my life. I want to do something important. And it seems like the only way I'm going to do that is to go into ministry. And then September 11th happens, and thousands of people plunge into eternity. I'm like, well, shoot, I wanted to be an architect, but that's just about making money. Therefore, I guess I'm going to go in the ministry. And I went into this thinking like, I want to do something that's eternally significant. And you know what the implication is, though, when you follow that line of thought? Is that everyone else isn't doing that. So the architects, sorry if you're in here, y'all just like money. Preachers, oh, they care about people becoming like Jesus. I got tricked. And then by the time I realized it, I'm already six years into this thing and there's no turning around. Don't make that mistake, friends. <laughs> you can have impact and should have impact for Jesus without being a pastor. In fact, you would only become a pastor if you wanted to help other people have impact for Jesus. The only part of that story that I'm joking about is the fact that I am still tricked about it. I love what I do. It is not under compulsion. It is willingly. But you understand the bifurcation that I'm talking about here. That's a holdover from Roman Catholicism. Uh, The holy people do the ministry and everybody else just supports it. No, the way that Jesus taught it is every body part does it. And if they're not, the ministry of the word through these gifted individuals should be mobilizing that. Say, well, what does that look like? How do I get equipped? How do I get equipped? Well, let me tell you first and foremost, it's just through the Word itself. Anywhere the Word is being disseminated, believe it or not, you're being equipped and you may not even know it. The truth is, some of you are in here this morning and you may not even be in Jesus yet. You really are living for money or sex or significance and you're just all about yourself and you're looking at this Christianity thing from the outside in and you are totally a slave to your own ambition and pride. And yet, guess what? Even as I'm preaching a message on ministers of the Word, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart saying, I don't know if I'm a part of that group or not. Hey, good news for you. Jesus died for that selfishness of yours. He remedied God's wrath on your behalf. He rose again, showing that He has life over death and could give you that same kind of life, eternal, which means that you can indeed become part of His people, live for Him, and do something eternally significant. You don't have to waste your life. And as you listen to the Gospel, it reshapes you and reorients you, and it places you on a different path. An eternally significant path. And so I would call you who are outside of Jesus to come into Him by faith alone. Some of you are already in. You know what you're doing? You're listening to the Word and you're hearing, like, oh yeah, I'm being reminded, that this is not about me. This is not just about money. This is not just about my name. Yeah, I am supposed to be uh, helping other people become more like Jesus. And as the Word is going forth, the Spirit is working and you're being equipped. Sometimes, sometimes we, we call like, we get so formal in churches and we say, oh, well, this church has an equipping ministry. And like, equipping ministry then all of a sudden becomes like classes. Yes, classes equip too. <laughs> but anywhere the word is going forth, people are being equipped. I love, though, being at a church where the word goes forth regularly on Sunday mornings and it's going forth regularly to the kids and then it's going forth in small groups and then. Thank the Lord, personal preference here. Our Christian Life Institute is getting back off the ground in the new year, and people will be able to have these other opportunities with gifted teachers to take advantage of the Word being distributed and disseminated. And then when you need personal care or something more direct, you can go to a minister of the Word and receive the Word in that context. I mean, like this is a beautiful thing. It's being being made available to you in so many different shapes and sizes, but it's all the good gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to make a, a plug here for the, the particular um, ministers of the Word that God's given you here. I'm not, I'm not, No insecurity here. I'm not talking about myself. Let me talk about the other guys for a second. The only thing that I uh, did not appreciate, I already told the guys this, about the Pastor Appreciation Sunday, is that it made it sound like we were the only pastors. When uh, these guys or just as much pastors as I am, and they said it was just a miscommunication. They meant to say staff pastor appreciation Sunday. And I'm like, well, good. But we're all on the same page there. But guess what? That being said, I'm not the only one that does this. There's multiple guys, and I would encourage you. This is just an encouragement. I don't have any authority. I'm speaking outside of my own authority here. But it just seems right to me that you would avail yourself of the pastors that know you, that love you, and pray for you as opposed to whatever dude you hear on the radio or whatever author author you like to read. In a post COVID world people have found ways like to say that so and so is my pastor and they don't know you, you don't know them. It seems what Paul actually has in mind here is people ministering the word to you who actually know who you are and what you care about. I don't know if you recognize this or not, but let me just illustrate with the preaching here for a second. I'd, like I'll preach a message like this, knowing that it's not going to fly on a radio program. I use names, I date it. I used a Christmas analogy. Do you understand that I could preach this same message in such a way that I hope that it would go far on a podcast? And yet, I'm not accountable for the podcast audience. I'm accountable for this one. At least when I minister here, the word. I pray every stinking time for this church and how it will land with you people. Because I have an accountability for this flock and so do the other men. And so I'm just throwing it out. Not, I'm not jealous. Read whoever. <laughs> no, don't read whoever. <laughs> read, good, <laughs> read good faithful people. Listen to them. Watch their stuff. But avail yourself of the gifts that God's given you in the church that you're a part of. How do you know if you're doing this well? Simple question. Do you feel outfitted, equipped to do others in this church spiritual good? Like, yeah, I got it. I can do that. I don't do it perfectly, but I can do it. Great. It seems like you may be availing yourself of the ministry of the Word. If not, if not, do it. Take advantage of the public things first and then the private. (laughs) It is interesting. I'm just thinking of Fred sitting here Like somebody's like, you know what, I just really need some parenting advice. I wish a pastor would come alongside me and be my personal parental consultant. Well, if we had an infinite number of elders, we could provide that. But since we only have eight and we offer a class, it's probably best for you just to take the class first. And then we can see if we need to do more personal things. (laughs) I think sometimes when we're talking about availing yourself of the ministers of the word, it means I need a personal connection. But there's already public things that are being offered for your spiritual well-being. Certainly, don't hesitate to reach out individually. But take advantage of what's already there. So the word ministers have been given to the church for provision. That's why Jesus gave them. And then here's the last one. This will be quick. Why else did Jesus give these ministers of the word to the church for progression? Progression. Look at verse 13 until these guys are being given their saints are being equipped they're building up one another in Christ likeness until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ Notice that this is going somewhere. Paul says that if you unwrap this gift and you use it, here's what's going to happen. It's going to progress into a church that is united in conviction over who Jesus is. And they will powerfully display Him in their community and around the world. They will together look like Jesus. I don't have time to do it. But if you had the inclination, I'd encourage you to read the rest of Ephesians up to this point because Paul has over and over again tried to invite them into this magnificent destiny. That's the best way I can describe it this magnificent destiny. That you guys were all strangers and aliens. You were self-absorbed. You were off doing your own thing. And what Christ has done is He's brought you together into His special group so that you could put Him on display in the world. There's no better calling in the world. Ephesians 4 says, walk worthy of the vocation with which you've been called. He is not talking to the pastors. He is talking to the people. And He's saying, guess what? You've entered into something amazing. And you're like, whoa. Entering into something amazing. I I don't know that I can do that. I'm a pretty ordinary dude, or lady. (laughs) I'm, I'm just pretty regular. I don't know if I can live up to that. And what Paul guarantees is if you avail yourself of these ministries of the Word, you will be equipped, the saints will be built up, and it will keep happening until we all together represent Jesus well. Not perfectly, but well. It will be a real picture of what Jesus is like. It's the trope of the dysfunctional team. Speaking of movies, you think of Bad News Bears or Remember the Titans or Mighty Ducks or Hoosiers. Sorry if you're like Gen Z. I don't have any modern examples, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Isn't it weird? You start listing off movies, and you're like, I'm old. I don't have a reference here over 1990. Um, Maybe the Titans, I don't know. But you've seen the movie. Oh, the team's a hot mess. Nobody gets along. All of a sudden, the right coach comes in, turns them into something, and they stun the community. Friends, we are a hot mess. Let's just own it by ourselves. And yet, Jesus has got a good plan. Takes every ordinary pieces of Tupperware and buckets. Fills them with the Word. Pours them out. Those people start taking that. That Word. And applying it to one another. Making one another become more like Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the bell dings. And you pull this thing out of the oven. And it looks like Jesus. I like the fact that Paul... Has this kind of confidence in the ministry of the word? You know, can I just tell you something? I'm tired of. I'm tired of feeling like a stinking failure. Like so often, we as a church are like, "Oh man, we're just we're just so terrible. We are not doing such a good job, man." The the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in such a mess these days, and we just run our mouths on and on and on about how terrible everything is, and yet the truth is, the way that Paul looks at churches is like, "No, they're winning. They're going to win." They're representing Jesus well. Do they do it perfectly? No, but they're representing Him well. This is, this is a good team. I mean, think about what's taken place just for us to be able to be in this room today. Richard Baxter, the old Puritan, listed all the reasons why churches shouldn't get along in his book that the true Catholic and Catholic church described. It's kind of boring, but listen to these summarized points. Here's why you and I shouldn't get along. Some of us are young in the faith, some are mature. Some of us are weak, some of us are strong. We differ in gifts, both by kind and degree. We have different personalities. We reflect different states of spiritual health. We're not all equally fit and useful to Christ's service. We're not all called to the same offices or roles. We don't have the same work or agree how it should be done. Some are more honored than others, and some will enjoy greater heavenly reward and glory than others. That's not good. And yet, we belong to one Father, we have one Rescuer, we share one indwelling and enabling Spirit, we have one purpose in glorifying God and enjoying Him together, we proclaim one Word of God and Gospel of Salvation. We believe in one faith and are of one mind in Christ. We possess new life as born by the Spirit. Our hearts have been the objects of one affection, hating sin and loving God in Christ. We have one rule to live by, the law of love and perfect liberty, and we are all founded upon the same prophets and apostles. Checkmate. We win. We're not we're not going to fail. God's Word is sufficient. Elders equipping, members ministering, unity increasing, maturity ongoing. That's God's vision for the church. It's a funny thing being a senior pastor or a lead pastor or a preaching pastor or whatever you want to call what I do. Because people are like, oh, what's the vision? What's the vision for the church? We need some vision. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Like give me some metrics. What are we going to do? Like I don't have any metrics beyond this. Like if you want me to like, make up some stuff I do, I do that often. <laughs> like, OK, you want a number? Sure. Let's go for three. Um, but like this is the vision. This is what we got. Elders equipping, members ministering, unity increasing, maturity ongoing. We have what we need. And Jesus has given it to us. As a church, I'm not just talking about his officers, I'm talking about as a church. (laughs) It's not the bunny suit, it's not the pink nightmare. It's like the the red rider BB gun. (laughs) Carbon action, even with a timepiece on it. It's exactly what we need. And so i leave you with three very applicable words. One, Christ. Christ. Are you part of Christ? Are you part of His group? If you're not sure about that, would you talk to one of us? Not one of us. One of us. Before you leave today? Two, church. If you're in Christ... Are you walking with Him in the company of His church? It's just the way He set it up. It's the way that He wants it done. No, it's not perfect. But it is adequate. And it's His gift. If you don't know what it's like to be a part of a church, you have questions about that, talk to us. Or talk to a minister of the Word that's represented here. And then three, here's the third word I'd like you to write down and think about. Ministry. Are you engaged, contributing? Or do you feel more like a consumer? <laughs> feel like an insider part of things, or do you feel like you're you're on the periphery? If that if that's really you, man, why don't you reach out to us this week and let's talk? That's why we're here. So let's close with a prayer of thanksgiving for God's good gifts and a prayer for his help. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the Lord Jesus whom you sent to save us, to nurture us, to give us life. And the Lord Jesus who sent us the Spirit to equip us and enable us to represent Him well. We have all that we need through your Spirit and Word. and So we're grateful for the brothers in this church that you've given us who equip this body for the work of the ministry. Think of those on staff, I think of those who do this um, or just out of the the sacrifices of their own time and energy and expense. Or may we together keep quipping so that members would stay engaged and that Christ would still be exalted. And forever in here may not yet be in Jesus, bring them in this day. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.